0: Good morning, friends. Nice to see you this morning. I'm glad that you came to worship with us. You know how on Spotify or on um, Pandora, you can have sort of the freebie status where you can get certain services for free, but then you have to pay for the next level. Um, It's like Pandora Plus or something. Uh, I never pay for any of those. I am not plus. I'm not elite. I'm not advanced. I am none of those things when it comes to technology. Um, But today... Uh, we are going to sort of extend our campus focus to be the main teaching of the day. So you're about to get Campus Focus Plus or Campus Focus Elite. So congratulations, you've reached the next level and we're not even going to charge you extra for it. So, And part of the reason is, is that we want today to be a, give us a little bit of space to pray, a little bit of space to breathe, um, a little bit of space just to sort of receive the word. You know, sometimes... Uh, when we hear the Word of God, it's spe- spoken uh, to us. Sometimes it's exhortation. Um, in some ways today, I want to speak the Word of God over you. Um, the story that we're going to look at, that continue looking at in Elijah, uh, has a- some neat things in it today that I hope will bring you um, a spirit of hopefulness and a spirit of encouragement. Uh, so we need a little more time for that, and then we're going to have some time to pray and give you some space to, for worship some more and to pray. When you came in, you got a card uh, hopefully that'll help us during the prayer time. We have more of those if you didn't. And part of the reason I want to spend a little more time with Elijah today is because we're going to try to discuss two great mysteries, and I'm going to try them to, to discuss them using a relatively obscure passage from the Old Testament. So I thought we might need a little more time for that. The two mysterious elements that we're going to discuss are hope and prayer. Hope and prayer and think a little bit about the relationship between those two things based on the book end or the conclusion of the Elijah story that we have been looking at over the last two campus focus times. If you remember, 1 Kings 17 opens with the abrupt introduction of Elijah. Good. Maybe a little participation here. Good. The abrupt, in- see, school ended, so you're all I got for a while, so you need to kind of Uh, Work with me here. So the abrupt introduction of Elijah. And we talked about how it wasn't really much of an introduction at all. It was very much a narrow pedigree of it was a guy from Gilead, Tishbe, to be exact, which really was no pedigree in any way. He was from the wrong side of the Jordan, from the wilderness side of the Jordan. Um, He sort of, I'm sure he looked the part of someone from the opposite side. But his audience was Ahab the worst of the Israelite kings. There had been a stretch of bad Israelite kings. And the passage right before this one in 1 Kings 16 is blatant about saying there were bad kings before Ahab. There was a string of bad kings before Ahab, but Ahab was worse than all of them combined. He was not a righteous king. And part of the influence on him was a woman that he married named Jezebel, Whose father's name was Ethbaal. Not a good sign. If you're looking to marry someone whose last name is Satan, you might want to reconsider. Jezebel was the, son, was the daughter of Ethbaal, and he, she brought Baal to Ahab, and Ahab embraced Baal like a long lost friend. Altars to Baal, temples to Baal, in In the royal city, Ahab was building temples to Baal, the fertility god, and Asherah, the Baal's wife and goddess. Fertility. Crops would grow. Harvests would be great. There would be wonderful produce, prosperity. And so Ahab, whether or not in, in his heart, but certainly in his actions, had given Israel over to Baal. And so when Elijah shows up at the beginning of 17 and says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain except by my word, Elijah was not pulling out a random threat from a little bag of threats. It was an intentional moment where he says to Ahab, It will be my God versus yours. You want to find out who controls the rain? Let's do this. I, standing for the living God, you, standing for Ahab, are you standing for Baal? Ahab standing for Baal? And Elijah says, there'll be no rain until I say so. See ya. And out he went. We discussed how This probably was a laughable moment for Ahab and his courts, for this Elijah guy to come in and say there won't be rain for three years. I can't imagine that they took it seriously. When would you start taking that seriously? Two, three, four weeks later when there's no rain? Five weeks? Eventually you start to take this guy seriously and you start looking for him, as Ahab does. Sends out search parties, find that Elijah guy. But by that time, God had already said to Elijah, you need to go up into the crags and crevices of Cherith and live in a cave, which Elijah did. And we talked about how in that moment, if you were to look at Elijah up on the crags of Cherith, being fed by ravens dropping meat down to him, and a brook that's ever dwindling because the very drought that you predicted is coming true, you would not look at Elijah and say that guy is part of a huge spiritual battle, but he was. Looks can be deceiving. And any time that we push against injustice and we push against sinfulness and we push against unrighteousness, we are part of the battle. We're moving the battle lines forward. Even if it's in little steps. If it's a moment of honesty, a moment of integrity, a moment of kindness, a moment of goodness, where somebody outside of you would just be like, oh, that's nice, look what they did, that's nice. We know that we are in this epic confrontation between good and evil, and when we push forward even a little bit, then we've moved the battle lines in this great epic battle that we're a part of. But there Elijah was in Cherith, undoubtedly a faith-stretching time, but we need to fast forward ahead. From this wilderness crag, Elijah is told, the, the brook, by the way, does run out because there's a drought. So I don't know how long Elijah had to wait around, but then eventually God says, you need to go to another place. And Elijah did so. It was actually on the far opposite side of the country. So he left the, uh, the, the eastern side of the Jordan, crossed the Jordan, went all the way across Israel into enemy territory on the other side in order to stay away from Ahab. And for Three years, we discover, is helped by a widow through miraculous means. But it's in 18, verse 1, that I want us to pick up today. This is three and a half years since 17.1. So this three and a half years has passed since Elijah walked into Ahab, Ahab for the first time to say, there will be no rain until I say so. And Ahab's been looking for Elijah, not able to find Elijah and in 18.1, after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, "Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain." And so Elijah does. He presents himself to Ahab in 18 verse one. And then we have what is more the, probably the most famous confrontation. If you've knew anything about Elijah, you probably know about this confrontation between Elijah and the 400 priests of Baal. And it is a contest, essentially, on Mount Carmel, where it's sort of the the, um, climax of this battle. And Elijah says, we'll make an altar, and we'll see who can call fire down from heaven. If the Baal prophets can, then Baal's prophets win. If I can, then I win. And so there's this long narrative where Baal prophets attempt to call and awaken Baal. Elijah mocks them the whole time. And then Elijah prays, and fire comes down from heaven and consumes not only the sacrifice, but the the jars of water that Elijah had poured on the sacrifice and the water that was around the altar, and then the altar itself was consumed by this fire. And for a moment, the people of Israel turned back towards God. The prophets of Baal, the priests of Baal were executed, and there's this sort of moment of victory but in terms of our storyline, you still should be noticing a lack of something. What are we still lacking? Rain. There's still no rain. Until this little, what I would consider a more obscure story that I think has some really life changing ideas in it. This is 1 Kings 18, verses 41 through 45. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And Elijah said, Go again. Seven times. And the seventh time, the servant said, Behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand, is rising from the sea. And Elijah said, Go up to Ahab, prepare your chariot, and say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot, and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind. And there was rain. A few weeks ago, I referenced a passage in um, in James that mentions Elijah. And in that passage from James, he says that this very Elijah, the one who stopped and began rain from heaven, who called fire down from heaven onto the altar, who raises someone from the dead, who's swept away by a fiery chariot, James says Elijah is, quote, just Like us. And it's actually this very moment that James is thinking about, first and foremost, when he says Elijah is just like us. The full verse in James is this, that Elijah, who is just like us, prayed fervently that it might not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. But then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain. We are like Elijah. Elijah is just like us in this way. We have the same access to the same power of the same God in the same way as Elijah, through prayer. Did you catch that? We have, access to this, we have the same access to the same power to the same God in the same way, through prayer. We are just like Elijah. Do you know the verse right before that in James it is a verse you probably are familiar with. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. And then Elijah is, 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 is James's example of how that's true. Clearly, this narrative in Elijah and the commentary on it by James trumpets this truth to move the battle lines forward whether it's systemic injustice or personal addiction or private sins or broken relationships or unforgiveness in your hearts or bitterness, no matter what is the issue, the battle lines only move forward with prayer. You know, when we hear that Elijah is just like us, at least when I hear that, I go, I've not called down fire anytime recently. I've tried. I've had moments where I wanted to. Has never worked. Not real good at raising people from the dead. Haven't marched in to prophesy to a king recently. And I say, I don't do any of those things. So I'm not like Elijah. But you know what James would say to me? He would say, you're not like Elijah because you don't pray like Elijah. If you did, who knows what would happen. Prayer is what Elijah's doing in verse 42. Elijah's in the throes of prayers, bent no, bent down, bent low, head between his knees low, laboring in prayer, fervent, as the book of James says, fervent in prayer, praying for rain to come. But note this: this is really interesting. Elijah is not bent with prayer because he is hopeless, he's bent with prayer for the exact opposite reason, he knows the word of the Lord will come true. Though he is in a posture of desperate, fervent prayer, it is not a posture of hopeless prayer. Did you notice how the passage began? Something's a little out of order. Look at it again. Elijah dismisses Ahab, says, you better go eat, because I hear the sound of the rushing of rain. But we know from the next rest of the text, there was no rain. So clearly, Elijah hears it in his spirit. He hears it in his soul. Not with physical ears, but spiritual ones. He listens to the voice of God saying, rain is on its way. He feels that in his spirit, and he knows there is hope. Because in his spirit, he has been told, and he hears the rushing of rain. Likewise, if you are a believer, then you have the spirit of God in you. And even in the most desperate, dry, and arid moments of your life, you still have hope. Because the spirit of hope is within you. The spirit of Christ is within you. And we know because of Christ, the ultimate victory is secured, so we know we can pray. And we know that in prayer, there is hope. It seems to me that hope is sort of the prerequisite of prayer, isn't it? Aren't all of our prayers of longing and of request and of desire, aren't they all rooted in a kind of hope? It's hope that makes you pray. Why would you pray if you didn't have hope? If you are able to pray, then you're able to have hope. They are related, they are tied to one another. And I think it is that spirit in the distant, sometimes in the distant spaces of our heart where we just strain our spiritual ear and we hear the rushing of water. And we know in whatever situation it is, we know there is hope. We hear it. And so we pray, Lord, make it true. We, ps- we pray amen, so be it. We pray your will be done because of that distant power of the Spirit in us that lets us know the rain's coming even before anyone else can perceive it. It allows us as believers to say, Christ- to say statements like God will answer. We're able to say I'm confident God is at work. We're able to say I believe in God because of that distant power Sound of rushing water. And so Elijah, he is praying for rain and he comes. He's praying for rain to come and he sends out his servant. And he says, Go look for rain. Go look. And the servant, I guess he kind of hikes up to a little higher part of the mountain. That was me hiking, by the way. Higher part of the mountain. And he looks out, and he sees just the sea and the dry land and the clear sky, and he comes back to Elijah, and his line is great, there is nothing. I think we're supposed to assume that Elijah keeps praying during this time. I don't think we're supposed to imagine Elijah sitting back eating a muffin, sending the servant out. I think Elijah comes back, some of you would be eating a muffin, but anyway, Elijah comes back, or the servant comes back, and Elijah says, he prays some more, and then he says, go again. And the servant goes again. He looks again. He comes back again and says, there is nothing. And Elijah says, go again. In thinking about prayer and hope, I know that in my life, and I know in every one of your life, there is something you have prayed for, and you've prayed for, and you've hoped for it, and you've heard the distant sound of rain in your life, and you've prayed for it, and you've hoped for it, and then you've looked for it, and you've looked and seen there is nothing. Nothing has changed. Nothing's been accomplished. Nothing's moved forward. And this can be from the smallest level to the largest level. If you're working in a place where there's just great amounts of pain and injustice, and you're trying to push the the bar forward with systemic injustice or or systemic racism or systemic um, reconciliation, and you're trying to push that bar forward, and you look out and you go, man, nothing. I mean, those of us at Wilmington, how many times do we look at the newspaper and go, man, it just seems like there's nothing. And it's true in our personal lives as well. There's something in your life and a relationship, and you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray and you look and you pray and you hope, and then you look and you say, There's nothing. I think for us this morning the message is clear. Go again. Pray again go again. Pray again. Go again. If the spirit is still leading you to pray for it, listen to this, if the spirit, if that rushing sound in your spirit is still leading you to pray, then you still must look. Do you hear me? If he's leading you to pray, then you've got to go again to look. I wish I could tell you why it takes so long sometimes. I wish I could tell you why we have to pray so much or why what you desire does not come more quickly or more easily. But I know from this story and from James that if the Spirit is in you and telling you to pray and you hear the sound of hope in your spirit, then you need to keep praying and you need to keep looking. Go again. Three times the servant goes. Four, five, six. But on the seventh time, Same crag, same vista, same dry land, same water. But this time, there is a cloud. The size of a man's hand. Now you might wonder, how would he possibly spot a cloud the size of a man's hand? Well, at least part of the answer is this. When you've looked seven times and seen nothing, You'll notice the slightest bit of hope. That's why we keep going back. Because sometimes, by seeing nothing, our eyes are prepared to finally see something, even if it's no bigger than a man's fist. Depending on your translation, the servant comes back, behold, a cloud, there is a cloud, I see a cloud. And Elijah says, you better go tell Ahab to get off the mountain quick, or the rain will stop him. And in a little while, the sky grew dark, and there was a great rain. A final thought before we enter our prayer time that whatever you are facing, whatever you are hoping and praying and looking and you've hoped and prayed and looked and you've hoped and prayed and looked, today we're going to pray that God will bring to you a little cloud in the distance. Maybe the problem won't be solved or the resolution won't be complete, but we're going to pray in a minute that God will bring to you, even if it's only the size of a man's hand, that he he will give to you just a glimpse of clarity of healing, of restoration, of of hope, additional hope. That whatever it is you have been seeking, that this morning you will see that there is a cloud and that in a little while there will be a great rain. May God bless our time in his word this morning. Amen.